one of the uh, joys of having travelled to other parts of the world is to hear that name said in other languages. So it's just a slightly different nuance. Jason Cookle, do you speak Spanish or Portuguese or both? Spanish. What's Jesus Christ in Spanish? Yell it out nice and loud. Jesus. Jesus. Gotcha. Who else? Julie Sampson speaks French. Do you know what Jesus' name in French? No, they should have taught you that a long time ago. <laughs> first, first word to learn. Anybody else know what his name is in a language besides English? Where are we? German. I don't know what it is in German. Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. It's beautiful. We go into um, Czech Republic. They say Jesus. They have God's name in Czech is Bohu. Bohu. It's like um, doesn't matter which language we use, whether it's a language of people or a language of heaven. The name Jesus in English, the person Jesus is a saving person, a redeeming person. He's actually more than a person. He's divine. He's God himself. It is a name that every knee in the universe will one day bow down to. It's kind of a really weird picture for us to get in our heads, I think, to try and conceive of what that really means. I mean, the logistics of it's one thing. But the, the reality of what it's saying is that there is no other. There is nothing that compares to him and his awesome power, his inestimable resource to get right into the nitty-gritty of your life and mine. So let me pray. We're going to get into the book of Romans this morning, second week. This is a fantastic book of the Bible, New Testament, Paul writing to a church in Rome. One of the most concise, um, even though it's 16 chapters or thereabouts, it's like it's one of the most concise theological um, unpacking of the power of the gospel you'll find in the Bible. If you don't know what the gospel's about, read Romans again and again and again and again. Let me pray. Father, we pray that you'd open our ears this morning, open our hearts. Lord, open our lives to the scrutiny of the power of the gospel. Pray, Lord, there would be not one of us today standing in this place lost. But, Lord, we don't understand that we've been found. So, Lord, I pray right now your breath would come on us, the breath of heaven into every family, every circumstance. Lord, you know how every person walked into church this morning. By that, Lord, I mean what sort of circumstances are tugging on us, what things are worrying us, what things are actually we're planning to do this week. Maybe we're thinking about the things that we conquered last week. Maybe there's a project in our life that's um, got a lots and lots of steps to it that we're partway through. And Lord, some of us are tired. Some of us are weary. Lord, some of us have walked in going, I don't think I can keep this up. Lord, some of us have come in this morning with a bee in our bonnet about something. We're just cranky about some matter of... And everything in between, I pray, Lord, right now, the breath of heaven would just come in like a warm, balmy summer evening breeze and just wrap 
itself. Wrap yourself around every one of us, Lord. Pray, Lord, for those that are listening online this morning that there would be this amazing supernatural visitation of the Holy Spirit wherever they're listening today. So be with us in these next few minutes, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. Fantastic. <clears throat> Thank you, team. We'll get you back a little later in the, in the meeting. Come on, appreciate them as they head off the stage this morning. They always lead us well. Thank you. Um, this morning, we're going to be spending some time looking in Romans chapter 3. Um, but I want to start off with a story that I'm going to try and kind of make it up as a, an analogy of what I want to say. The picture there is actually quite uh, pertinent. Uh, one of the things that we need to get settled in our hearts about the gospel, that is about the good news of salvation, about the need to get saved, is to understand in the first instance that we are absolutely, completely and utterly lost. I want you to think about um, this. I, I was trying to think of an analogy, and some of you have I've been following a few people on Facebook in the last couple of weeks. It's the school holidays, and some of you have been up gallivanting in the northern reaches of South Australia, up in the beautiful red dirt, up in the warmth, avoided some of the rain. Some of you got rained in and others didn't, but it's... Um, I want to talk to you about, just a, I want you to imagine, um, I'm going to try and paint a word picture with this. We're a little bit ringy up here this morning, Deno, am I doing something wrong or are we just trying to sort something out back there? Because, yep, it's all good. Um, that's better, I think, maybe. Did you do anything? <laughs> just my imagination? It's all good. Pastor Phil Pringle taught me one thing a long time ago, never get on the wrong side of the sound guy. They can wreck the best message, I tell you. So, um, yeah. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you've set off on a journey. You've packed everything you need. You've got food, you've got water, you've got fuel, you've got spare tyres, you've got max tracks, you've got four-wheel drive, you've got everything you need to do a trek out into the middle of the harshest part of Australia's desert country. But along the way... Um, all of your technology, GPS systems break down. There's completely and utterly lost connection with the outside world. You're in the middle of nowhere and you break down flat tyre. You've punched a hole in the sump of the car because um, you hit this massive rock because you were driving in a manner you shouldn't out in the middle of nowhere. And you're just learning by mistakes. But I want you to just get a picture of you're actually a bit like that person in a sand dune. But you might just be stuck in the absolute middle of nowhere. And as it turns out, the only thing that really gives you any sense of direction is the sun rising and the sun setting, and maybe the stars at night. But everything else technologically is just not there to help you at all. You're lost, completely and utterly lost. That, that is the state of being a human being without Jesus Christ. It is like being in the middle of nowhere with no idea what to do and where to go. Um, imagine in that state that you've decided, well, I've got enough supplies, I'll just write it out. Somebody knows I've gone on holidays and I'll just wait here until someone turns up to, to rescue me. So I want you to imagine that somebody rocks up with all the whistles and bells, they're driving past the same zone you were and they've got everything that you think you need to um, be helped to keep going on the journey to get to go where you were going. But they just say to you, well, look, um, actually, I've only got enough fuel to go another four or five miles. So I'm actually not any better. I can go, you can come with me if you like, and we can do four or five miles, but we're, 
we're going to be stuck together in this place. But I've got good news. I heard before I left Una Whoop Whoop that there's a guy coming who will be able to rescue us both. He'll be able to actually take us both to the other side. It's like, oh, okay. And so we decided to just stay together in this spot where we're stuck. And we got food and we got, we, we're kind of doing life as we know it. But we're a little bit, a little bit edgy about, well, what's going to happen next? And eventually this, you know, it seems like a delay of forever, but it's only a matter of a few days. This character drives up in this clapped out car. He's dressed like he hasn't had a shower or a bath in weeks. He's as scruffy as, and he's kind of comes across and says, um, I've come to help. He's got no equipment, none of the stuff that you think is important. He's got nothing in the way of max tracks. He hasn't got a four-wheel drive. He hasn't got all the whistles and bells. He has not got a GPS system. He's got nothing. He just says, I've come to help you. And I know how to get out of here. Will you follow me? And right there, right at that point, is the conundrum for the human heart hearing the invitation from Jesus Christ, come follow me. He doesn't look like, he doesn't sound like, he certainly doesn't appear to us to have any of the qualifications, any of the equipment, any of the human faculties to help us. What would you do if a guy that rocked up seemingly out of nowhere, with none of the right gear, in the middle of a desert, and their only invitation was, follow me. Would you believe enough to go, all right, leave behind all my equipment's not, my equipment, that, let's just get this straight, my equipment's not working. I got lots of it. The guy that came before and tried to help, offered to help, they got lots of equipment. It's all useless. And this dude just says, come with me. What, when he get into that clapped out Toyota Corolla with flat tyres? Yeah, well, that's the offer. Now, I'm not saying for one minute that the gospel's second rate, broken down, and, but what I want to do say to you is the Bible says Jesus was unrecognisable on the cross as a human being. He was so smashed up. It's like, are you going to put your trust in that? You're going to put your trust in a guy that's being nailed to a tree? You're going to put your trust in a guy that's about to die? Like, why would you do that? But that's the gospel's invitation. Believe. Believe that I'm the one, says Jesus. Believe that what I'm doing is actually going to take you out of this desert camp where you're doomed and bring you to a place called um, heaven Eternal life, a place where you're going to have everything you need, which incidentally is none of that stuff. That stuff is incidental and it can make life as a human comfortable, yes. But at the end of the day, where you're headed, you don't need that stuff. So are you going to come with me? Do you believe? So I want to start by saying, number one, we are totally and absolutely lost without Jesus Christ. People want to go, well, isn't there any other way to get to heaven? Isn't God a loving God? And it's like, this is, that's not the point. The point is that without Jesus, God is inseparably separated from us. There is no other bridge. There is no other means. There is no other mechanism. There is no other thing other than an offer 
to believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's right there that we find millions of people lose their way. I'm not prepared to put my trust in that guy that just rocked up. Jesus doesn't look like the Saviour to me. He doesn't sound like God to me. He, doesn't, he didn't look like God to the Pharisees. He didn't look like God to the, the teachers of the law. Let's just read that. All of the hoi polloi academic rulers, people of influence, the elite people in the current community in Jesus' time rejected him. You don't fit the bill. You don't look like a king. You don't sound like a king. You sure as heck don't dress like a king. You hang around with losers and drop kicks. You just don't look like you're the, you just, they could not believe. Say believe. believe. Now, many of you sitting here this morning are believers, but I want to put into you a renewed sense of absolute certainty that the people you know who do not believe are lost. Don't make any mistake. They might appear to have the biggest house in town. They might have the most successful career. They might be the smartest person you know. They might have uh, more letters after their name than in their name. It makes no difference if they don't believe they're finished. They're actually stuck in the desert, in the middle of nowhere, totally lost, and they refuse to accept that reality. There might be enough stuff around their life for the illusion of, I'm okay. I don't need God. What are you talking about, God? You don't need that stuff. Just You guys are all bit like, you know, you Christians, you, you need your faith as a crutch to get through life. No, no, I don't, need a, I don't need faith as a crutch to get through life. You need to understand without faith in Jesus Christ, you're lost. Say lost. lost. Your lost friends are lost. Can't get any simpler than that. They are absolutely, abjectly off the cliff, down the bottom pit, lost in darkness without Jesus. Let's see how Paul puts this. That's my words. This is Paul, Romans chapter 3. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin, as it is written. Now listen to this. This is quoting from mainly the Psalms, a little bit of Isaiah. There is no one righteous, not even one. That's that can't be talking to me. Can it be? I'm a pretty good person. I haven't killed anybody. Um, I don't think I've taken advantage of anybody deliberately. I'm a pretty nice guy, aren't I, honey? Yep, see, I've got a fan down the front. I'm a nice guy. Only problem is the Bible doesn't agree with that. You might think you're the nicest person in the world, and you may well be. You could be the sweetest soul on the planet. Only problem is you're lost without Jesus. The Bible wants to say to you, no matter how cool you think you are, and I don't mean that in a derogatory or put down sense or be sarcastic at all, but no matter how okay you are, the Bible wants to say to you and to me, there is no one righteous, not even one. Okay. There's no one who understands. Smartest people in the world do not understand God. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Hang on a minute. You're looking to pick a fight with me, Lord? Sure. God's got no problem. He's got all the time in the world to have an argument because he gets the last say. There is no one who does good, not even one. 
let me reiterate where I'm going. We are lost. This is not meant to make us depressed. This is just meant to make us understand the severity of the situation and what Jesus paid for to undo that mess. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You're talking about anywhere on planet Earth in 2020. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sin. All right, so I've laboured the point. We're lost. Anyone say amen to that? Okay, we're lost. Totally lost. Number two, how are we going to get out of this mess is my next question. Let's keep reading straight on. So Romans uh, 3, let's get down to verse 21. But, say but. Okay, that, that's the big word in the Bible, but. Phil Pringle wrote a book called But God. I've got to tell you, in the Bible, but is always a good word because it doesn't matter what comes prior to the but statement, the Bible and God is big enough to transform whatever that mess is into something that is um, of glory to him in every sense of the word. But. Don't you love this? But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Okay, righteousness is a word that kind of simplistically can be explained as like in right standing with God is kind of our view of our part of that. But this is saying the righteousness of God. God's righteousness is flawless. Yours and my righteousness is kind of a work in progress, or mine is. I, I have good days and bad days. Anyone say amen to that? I, ha, I have days where I feel like, you know, this Christian thing's pretty cool. I'm, I'm doing all right. I, I haven't really... But then something out of left field can happen, and I find that my sense of being kind of even a pastor and a, a man of God disappears down the, into the sewer somewhere, and I have a moment of being not quite the same as I ought to be. Because I'm lost. And I need to be saved. Again. I'm not talking about being saved from going to hell. I need to be saved from being an idiot. Once I give my life to Jesus, I'm on a journey to heaven. I, I don't have a problem with that. It's like it's, he, he died once for all. But the key is believing. I believe he is my saviour. But some reason or other, he's left us here on planet earth as human beings to navigate the humanity that we've been born into as people who know they're saved. And I don't know about you, but I have found there's been incredible moments of frustration when I've realised he's left us here to work this mess out together. I mean, what was he thinking? Honestly, just take us home, Jesus. He's, but no, why? Because there's a whole lot of lost people out there. And he's left it in our hands to influence them to the best of our ability to become aware of the righteousness of God. Let me read on. Um, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law of the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In other words, not my righteousness, 
not my best acts on my best day are we talking about. We're talking about God's righteousness, perfect righteousness, blemishless, motives perfect. Intent perfect. God's righteousness is without flaw. And Paul is saying, contrasting to us being absolutely lost. And if you want to understand how lost we are, read Romans chapter one again, um, just to refresh your memory of some of the human conditions that we're talking about here. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In other words, the righteousness of God begins to settle on and live and work its way out through your life and mine when we have faith in Jesus. When we believe, when we say to that guy that's turned up in the desert, I'll come with you. The unlikely moment, maybe your moment of salvation in church or at home or at work or on the bus or sitting on the toilet. I don't know where you got a revelation about God, but there was some moment in time, if you're a Christ follower, where you said in here and in here together, I believe. That's all it takes. I believe. And that moment, everything changes. Because straight there, when we believe that Jesus is the one, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Kind of a bit of a weird thing for us to get our head around, but let's just um, be really 21st century blunt. There's no such thing as racism. There's no difference between what race, the colour of your skin, doesn't matter what ethnicity you are born into, it makes no difference to God when it comes to salvation. If you're a person, a human being, who says yes to Jesus, no matter where you come from, you're in. Don't you love that? We've got a gospel that includes everybody. The world's shouting out in anger and there's lots of protests and a whole lot of angst around racism and other forms of prejudice and exclusion of people. The irony of what appears to be an exclusive gospel is it's absolutely, completely and utterly inclusive. <clears throat> Anybody can believe. And his kingdom is unlocked in their life. Who thinks that's good news? How are we going to get out of this mess? Believe Jesus is the Son of God and find the righteousness of God imputed into our lives. All right. So I want you to think back, because you and I are meant to help other people. You've got a mission. Go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples of all nations. Jesus has given us commission to go and do something. Your ability to influence your friends is unique to you. You've got a voice and a relationship with people that I don't have, and every other person in this room doesn't have. You've got a mission. Don't ever feel like, oh, I'm no one special. You are incredibly important to God because he's put you into relationships all over the place that other people in this room don't have. And you're it. You're it. What kind of it are you? Hmm. Just another it with nothing to say or an it, or an it with, I know how to get out of this mess. Yeah. 
You've got unique experience of life that God's woven into the fabric of your life story. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Your life story is important to God, not just for you, but because it is able to have an influence on other people. People are actually going to come to know Jesus because of you. Say me. I'm not talking about you becoming an evangelist, not talking about you becoming a preacher necessarily. I'm talking about you standing on a street corner and shouting, everyone who doesn't know Jesus is going to hell. I'm talking about you, your life story, your connection with him having a beautiful meaning for somebody you know. Find that person. Share your heart. Share your story. Share what happened to you when you said, I believe. Maybe you've got a testimony about how broken and smashed up your life was and the moment you gave your life to Jesus, something happened. Maybe you didn't get pulled out of that quicksand straight away, but maybe with the benefit of hindsight, you've got an incredible story of the redemptive nature of the kingdom, how God's journeyed with you through the ups and downs. You tried and you quit and you slipped back and you gave up and you connected again. You've had people just push you in the back and say, come on, I don't mean nastily, I mean just people come, come on, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Maybe that's your job. Maybe you've got to keep a going kind of anointing on your life. Maybe you're an encourager. Maybe you've got some words of advice for somebody to come on, have another go. What are you doing giving up? What do you mean you're talking about throwing the towel in? What do you mean? It's like, I don't know what you're gifted in, but God does. How cool is that? He knows exactly what it is he wants you to do. And one of the things he wants you and me to do is help people to find out the truth. They're lost. B, there's a, pl- a way out of this mess because there is a way out of this mess and his name's Jesus. But there's this really tricky little piece that you've got to accept and that is called believe. When it makes no sense to believe. In fact, it's probably almost a setup to be the most difficult thing you could do to believe God. I want to finish off with where Paul goes trying to build this argument about what belief is. And we move into chapter 4 for a moment, then we'll close with these thoughts. So we're in Romans 4, verses 16 through 25. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written... I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. Let me continue to read. So Abraham's a hero of the Old Testament. Bible refers to, in the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The beginning of God's promise, a plan for humankind is a promise that he makes to a guy called Abraham who's got no family, no kids. He's got a wife and no, his wife, is un, they're unable to have children. They've got no kids. And he's saying, you're going to become the father of many nations. This is the guy that Paul is referring back to. He's talking about somebody who made the shift from this is my lot in life to God has said something that's not that. Whatever you're looking at today in your life, and it's kind of like, that's not going to work for me for the rest of my life. But there's something over here. The key is to believe God. It's not to go back and study harder, try and make more money, get more friends, travel more, uh, have more holidays, save up and go. It's like, those things are all just going to consume your time. 
You've got, if you're like the rest of us, maybe 60, 70, 80, 90 years of life. Key to making your life count is at these junctures, there's lots of them, God will keep bringing them to you, junctures of life. What are you going to do? I'm going to believe God. I'm going to be a believer. If you're sitting here this morning feeling all pessimistic about options in front of you, I've got good news. Make a decision to believe. Make a decision to believe. I guarantee if you're stuck somewhere, you will become unstuck. If you're feeling depressed, you've got the potential to become undepressed. If you've got that sense of maybe through the COVID year, you've got a sense of anxiety about something to do with that or life or loss of job or whatever, maybe, just maybe, the moment right now for you is to decide, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe his righteousness, his perfect righteousness is going to be flooding into my life right now because I make a decision to believe. So against all hope, there it is. This is Paul's writing to us to encourage us and the church in Rome. Abraham in hope believed. Say believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Uh, Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. He is not looking at good news. He's not looking at an IVF program in 2020. Even if he was at 100, it would probably go, mate, you're too old for that. He's got no technology. He's got nothing. He's got just this strange character turning up to him in the middle of nowhere saying, you're going to be the father of many nations. <laughs> yeah. That's what Sarah said. She laughed. And God wasn't put off by that. Abraham believed. And guess what? She gets pregnant. They have a son called Isaac. And if you know your Bible, the rest's history. Verse 20, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's why, well, this is why it is um, why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but for us also, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Paul wants us to understand that those critical moments in life, the critical moments in your life and in my life are moments where we've got a choice. Am I going to complain? Am I going to get on Facebook and do a rant? Am I going to get on TikTok and pull funny faces or Snapchat? Am I going to write a letter to the editor? That's old school, just venting my, venting my spleen. I'll ring up my local member of parliament and just give him a spray. Um, or am I just going to be cranky and go and give the dog a good nudge with my knee? Or go out the backyard and slam the shed door? I don't know what you're going to do when pressure comes when the brutal reality of your life seems to be at a dead end and you're stuck, I want to say to you, be the person who wakes up to themselves and says, I'm going to believe. Why don't we stand to our feet? Not just believe anything, I am going to believe God.
I love the promises. And when we talk about believing God, we talk about believing his promises for us. Like Ephesians 3.20, he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, just as an example. He can do immeasurably more than all we can possibly ask or imagine. That's a promise in his word. That's his rebuttal to your excuse, my excuse. Oh, that's not gonna work out. No, he's got a rebuttal. God's got lots of rebuttals. He's got lots to say to you in his word. Read it, get familiar with it, and then believe. Let me pray. Father God, today, right now, pray for every one of us gathered here, for those of us that are gathered online. Lord, if we, at this point in time, don't know you, and somehow the word picture this morning has convinced us we are indeed lost. We are completely and utterly separated from your goodness in our life because we haven't made the step yet to believe. And I pray, Father, that if there's anyone in our meeting today, here and online, that is in that place, that right now in their heart of hearts, they have a moment of inspiration to say, I believe. And Father, I pray at that very moment, there would be the breath of heaven just powering in this beautiful presence of peace, presence of love and acceptance, the, this incredible sense of cleanliness of all of the baggage of our life just being swept out the door and are standing in God's presence totally cleansed, totally righteous, not our righteousness, His righteousness. I want to pause there as the prayer and we can pick it up in a minute, but I want to ask you this question. As I was praying, if that was moving something inside of you, I would love for you to slip your hand up and say, that is me, Pastor. I'm actually feeling God's incredible presence on me to believe, maybe for the very first time. Because I'd love to help you, we'd love to help you pray a little more specifically about that in a minute. But I need to know you're here. So I need you to slip your hand up, be brave, and say, that's me, Pastor. I'm, I'm kind of in that place. I want to believe for the very first time. Or maybe, just maybe, You've had one of those episodes that I described where you might have known Jesus for a long time, but circumstances have painted you into a corner and you've just lost your way with Him to the point where you know you are not following Him anymore. You can come back to Him as well. Believing in His goodness always opens the door for a return. If you want to come back to Him, we will pray the same prayer as someone who's coming to the first time to invite Jesus believing Jesus to come into our life where we receive the righteousness of God. If that's you, I'd love you to flip your hand up in either of those positions. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Let me continue to pray then. Father, I pray then as the day is in front of us, beautiful sunny Sunday, October 2020. Lord, we pray today that you be with us as we head out into, compared to other parts of the world, a relatively normal world. We are so grateful for where we live in South Australia, Lord. We just lift up some of our dear friends around the world. We pray especially for our friends in the Czech Republic, 
Lord, for Braddock and Lucy who have both had COVID-19. Lord, we pray the church, they've got a population in check of 10 million people and they're getting 4,000 cases a day at the moment. Lord, it's just taken off like wildfire and we pray for that nation. We pray for C3 Church Trebich, Lord, that it would be a beacon of hope. Lord, that they would care for and love each other through this pandemic and where it's just gone with them. We pray for others in our own nation closer to home, Lord, for our friends at C3 Casey and other churches in Melbourne that have been just closed for months and months and months. We pray, Lord, the day of opening is in front of them. We just pray you'll just bless them and fill them with hope today, Lord. We pray that every one of us, Lord, would continue to impart that sense, that message of believing about a better future. We pray, Lord, that you'd be with us then as we head out into this week, fully persuaded that you can. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.